Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Tai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated to loving memory of Ruti's father, Yaakov Baruch Kohen Alava Shalom. Yaakov Baruch Ben Rachel for his Azkara, sponsored by Ruti and Rafi Fuzailov. Also dedicated for the speedy and complete of Ashley Mafakana Batsimafega, sponsored by Drs. Habib and Rhonda Monas, Hazaku Baruch. Beautiful. Also, my friends, in loving memory, Mrs. Lily Safra, the Nishmat Lea Batchana, her philanthropy continues uh, to reach Sony throughout the entire world. And the Fuashema of Rabbi Eli Abadi, Eliyahu Shimon Ben Mazal Fortuna. We have a very special welcome back uh, that is due. Um, unfortunately, we, one of our constant listeners, across the pond, uh, has been unable to listen to the classes uh, while he was sitting Shiva for his mother, but we'd like to welcome uh, Jason back to the class after Shiva, post Shiva, where he's allowed to learn Torah. Hazaku Baruch, welcome, welcome home, like we say, and it should be uh, a zechut, uh, today's words of Torah, for your mother, uh, uh, for your mother, Hana, Bezat Hashem, her neshama should rise higher and higher, and you and the family should make her proud in everything that you do. It is no coincidence today that today is Mother's Day. And the mothers that we have and that we show appreciation to um, in popular and in secular culture, you know, someone asked me, Mother's Day, do we celebrate it? It's, a, it's not a Jewish holiday. I was like, it is a Jewish holiday. It's just every day. Um, it's, you know, today it's in the calendar as a day, but it's every day. So it's a hard thing to say that we don't celebrate Mother's Day when every day is really Mother's Day, my friends. So um, with that in mind, I wanted to share with you a beautiful a beautiful idea, and whether your mother is here with us, or whether your mother is in a much better place looking down on us, uh, Dan, right? Uh, the idea of showing your mother love, showing your mother respect, doing something for your mom, is not, re- is not only limited to while your mother or father are here on this earth with you, they could have passed and you could do amazing things for them. And one of the things I like to remind people all the time is that you could do more for your parents after they are gone than while they are here. While they are here, you could take care of some small thing. You could do something that's here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that you do for your parents when they're in the higher worlds are eternal. So you could get them an eternal sandwich. You could pour them an eternal cup of coffee. Ya'ani, every mitzvah that you do, every act uh, of chesed that you do, everything that you learn from them, every time you embodied their, uh, their, uh, the great things that they stood for, you raise the neshama higher and higher, and that level is, uh, is forever. So Hashem should bless us to truly honor our parents and grandparents in a way that they deserve. We just finished a, uh, a sefer in the Torah. We finished the book of Vayikra, otherwise known as Leviticus. I know it kind of sounds, sounds like some sort of Roman gladiator with a sword. You know, I went to school today and Leviticus was bullying me. Right? Either way, the point is, right, we finished with Leviticus and now we are on to... Numbers, that's what it's called, uh, Bamidbar. Bamidbar is called Numbers. We'll talk a little bit about why it got that name uh, tomorrow. But for today, I want to deal with the introductory pasuk. The pasuk says that God spoke to Moshe, Bimidbar Sinai, now I need you to follow the sequence here. It's very important. Bimidbar Sinai, okay, in the desert of Sinai, Sinai Desert, Be'oel Moed, in the tent of meeting. So pay close attention. And God spoke to Moshe, in the Midbar, in the desert. Where in the desert? From the Oil Moed. The Oil Moed was the, uh, the Mishkan, the tent of meeting, the place where God uh, would communicate to the Jewish people whilst they were in the desert. All right? What day did he, uh, did he speak this commandment to Moshe that's going to follow? Be'echad, lachodesh, 
on the first of the second month, in the first of the second month, in the second year. The Orachayim HaKadosh asks a question that is so Orachayimi, for lack of a better adjective. He asks, he says, look at the lack of syntax symmetry. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain. The first time around, we talk about the Bamidbar, the desert, and then we talk about this point called the Tent of Meeting, which is within the desert. So we start with Bamidbar, which is the general uh, descriptive terminology. We talk about the, the, the place, the state, and then we talk about the city within the state. We talk about the Tent of Meeting, the building inside the desert. What is the general and what is the specific? The general, the wide, is the Bamidbar. The specific is the Tent of Meeting. And that's how we go. We go from the large to the small, from the general to the specific. But when it comes not to space, but to time, we actually reverse the order. Because when it comes to time, we say, on the first day of the second month, so we go day, month, year. Okay? Day, month, year. So it's the smallest, the individual day, then the month, which is the more general uh, holding, you know, holding vessel for the days, and then we go to the year. So we go from the specific to the general. Is everyone aware? Now, if you did not have the Orachayim's eye, you could read this pasuk a million times. I don't think any, would anyone here have noticed that we seem to reverse the order in space where we go from the, ge- the general to the specific to time where we go from the specific to the general. Honestly, would anyone here have noticed that? We have a couple art collectors here. Maybe they have an eye which is nuanced and detailed. Maybe they would have noticed. Uh, you know, I don't know. But other than maybe a couple people in this room, would anyone else here have paid attention to that? Or Chaim noticed it. And he asks a question. And he answers... The most magnificent answer. And I want to share with you this answer, but if this is not your first class, you'll know that my answers and my uh, points that I bring, wherever I bring them from, are almost never really about what they are about. They are about what they teach in a wider perspective. I'll give you an example. You know, we just mentioned art. I'll give you an example from a painting. You know, you might look at a beautiful painting of a, you know, of a mother serving a child a piece of birthday cake. And the artist may have spent a tremendous amount of time, you know, on the light coming in through the window. They might have spent an unbelievable amount of time getting right the, the warmth of the scene. But really, what he tried to capture is not about the light coming through the window. What he's trying to capture is that feeling of warmth that when you look at this, you feel what it feels like to be loved by someone, to have a moment that was created by someone because they loved you. That's what the artist is trying to capture. The feeling that a child feels when their mother has done th- something so special for them. If I could lock in that emotion, then it's not about the birthday cake, it's not about the light coming in the window, but it's about the evocative uh, warmth of the painting that I'm trying to convey to you from the artist to the Beholder. God is described as an artist. The Pasuk that we mentioned in Shabbat afternoon class yesterday says, Hatsur Tamim Paolo, God 
he, his actions are perfect. Hatsur, he is described as a rock. And the Talmud says, don't read Tzur Ela Tsayar, that God himself is a painter. I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling when you've seen a piece of art where it stirs something in the soul. There's something godlike in being a painter, in communicating something to someone uh, in the way that the most unbelievable artists manage to do. And that is because God himself, says the Talmud, is a painter. In Tzayar, there's no painter like God. My friends, the idea I'm trying to communicate to you has nothing to do with space, nothing to do with time, nothing to do with syntax or language. But bear with me while we unravel it together. Says the Orachayim, you know why it goes from specific to general in time and general to specific in space? Bamidbar, temple, mishkan, day, month, year. He says something so beautiful. He says, it doesn't. In fact, in space also it goes from the specific to the general. Now, me, you, when we look at the desert, and we look at the temple in the desert, what do we see? The, the midbar is large, the temple is small, that which is small is contained within that which is big. But actually, says the Orachayim, that's from your perspective. From the perspective of God who's writing the Torah, it's exactly the opposite. The Torah teaches us <clears throat> that God is called Hamakom, right? We say it when we go to a shiva house, if you're Ashkenaz, Hamakom yinachem etchem. We say it in Achenu, Hamakom, uh, right? But we find that expression in many other places. Why is God called, exactly, why is God called Makom, the place? And Al-Chachamim explained, because Hu mekomo shel olam, Ve'en ha'olam mekomo. He is the place of the world, and the world is not his place. Let me explain what that means. What it means is that while the world is vast, it's infinite in our eyes, the universe, what do we actually know about the universe? No matter how big, no matter how far, how vast, how diverse, how old, what we know is that the universe is finite. How limited? Maybe nearly infinitely limited. But nearly is not the same as infinite. God is infinite. The creator of the universe. The universe exists within him, so to speak. God is above space. He exists everywhere. Like we say, the whole of the earth is filled with his honor, with his splendor. So God being above space, all the earth, all the world is contained within him. Says the Orachayim, that's what the Pasuk means. Bamidbar, small. Be'oel Mo'ed, in the presence of God. Massive. Why did I share this? Not because... I want to point out that there's symmetry in syntax in the Pasuk. But rather because I think what the Orachayim is sharing with us is something that needs to bring us a tremendous amount of comfort. 
You know, I've often wondered why is it that we say those words at a shiva, if you're Ashkenazim, we say, Sefaradim say, Right? But why do Ashkenazim say that? Why do we say, Baruch Kivoda Blessed is the honor of God from his place, when we know that his, his honor is every place. And the answer, my friends, is so powerful. A person who's suffering, who's finding difficulty in a, in a tough time, one of the things that makes it feel so difficult is the fact that they feel like they're suffering alone. And it's a strange thing. Because, in truth, perhaps the most universal of experiences is loss. Everybody has had someone in their life pass away. It might not be a parent, it might not be a child, it might be a grandparent, but they say, you know, the only two sure things in the world are death and taxes. Right? Especially in a democratic government. <laughs> My friends, death and taxes. Is that correct? Listen carefully. So what are you telling someone who feels alone? There's no place you could be where God isn't. There's no dark hole that you could be in where he's not there with you. You know what brings comfort? That his name is Hamakom. He's in the same place and he's in the same space as you. Baruch Kivod you know why? Because whatever place you get to, you know, you climb, I want you to imagine, I remember there used to be uh, a comedy troupe called You Don't Have to Be Jewish. Anyone here remember them? It's a comedy troupe, you can find it. I think it's from like the 40s or the 50s maybe, I don't know. You can find it on YouTube. It was not Jackie Mason, it was not. It was a group of people together and they acted out these little skits. Very funny, like the most Jewishy comedy troupe ever. Anyway, it talks about this guy, you know, and he goes uh, scuba diving and he buys all this equipment so he could go 2,000 feet under the, the surf, into the ocean. And then he gets all the way down there and he gets, and all of a sudden he sees this guy swimming in his like bathing suit, like with him. He's down there, here I am, 2,000 feet under the sea, under the ocean. You know, it's, it's beautiful. And he sees this guy swimming by. He goes, he goes, excuse me, mister. <laughs> here I am with all this equipment, you know, with the breathing tube, with the oxygen tube, 2,000 feet, and you're here swimming by in only a pair of swimming trunks. The other guy says, you idiot, I'm drowning. <laughs> it bothers the guy who's wearing that equipment that there's someone down there with no equipment. You climb to the top of Mount Everest, and you find some kid playing, uh, you know, playing at the top of Mount Everest. This was your moment, you're crying, you're looking down. What makes climbing Mount Everest so special? The fact that other people, that the mass amount of people in the world, can't do it, have not done it. When you're conquering something that has not... Baruch Kevod Mikomo means whatever humanity achieves, whatever we get to, whatever kavod we find, there's no kavod, there's no achievement that we get to when we get there and the God's not there. Baruch Kevod Mikomo, his kavod is everywhere. You think you made a lot of money? Hashem says, Kili HaKesef HaZahav. The money aren't all mine. You think you're powerful? I'm much more powerful. He's not doing it to push you down. He's doing it, my friends. He's telling it to us. So that we understand, Melo, Kola, Aretz, Kevodo. 
So therefore, the Pasuk says, Bamidbar, you think that that's the general and the Mishkan is the specific. It's exactly the opposite. God's dwelling place is everywhere. My friends, I want to explain how far this works. If you open up a Shulchan Aruch, you'll see that there's a procedure as to how a person is supposed to go to the bathroom. Now, pardon me for being indelicate. I mean, I can see most of you stopped eating, so we're good to go. <laughs> there's a way that you sit on the toilet, not joking. It talks about how the person reveals himself. As you're revealing a part, you cover up another part so, you know, so that there's not too much of the person being revealed. Wild. There's a law about which hand you're supposed to use, excuse me, to wipe your bottom. Not the hand of the tefillin. Yeah? There's a halakha governing what you say when you come out of the bathroom. You wash your hands. The idea that the God of the Jews is not in some golden temple at the top of the mountain, but that the God of the Jews is also in the bathroom. That when you go to a cemetery and you bury someone, there's a blessing that you make in the cemetery. And there's myriad laws and customs that govern what you do around the grave. There's laws for the husband in the moment of childbirth. It's unbelievable. There's laws in the second that a person is passing away, how to deal. There's even a halakha of what the last thing a person's supposed to say on earth. There's a halakha, a pasuk, that's supposed to be the first verse that you teach a child when he learns to speak. The God of the Jewish people, it's not some God that is lifted away in the, in the heavens that is unrelatable, that you, you need to bring sacrifices to after making some sort of hajj journey to some distant place. God is with you. He is everywhere. He's in every place, in every decision, in every move, in every relationship. There are laws governing relationships, whether you like it or not, however progressive you are or not. The Torah tells you who you can marry and who you can't. Which relationships are allowed and which are not. These are verses in the Torah. God is everywhere. God is in everything. So therefore, Bamidbar is a small speck. The vast Sinai Desert is a small speck in relation to Oil Moed, the place of God's appearing, of God's presence. My friends, there's something always I found very interesting about the way the mystical world, the Kabbalah, discusses God's presence in this world. How is God's presence described when we talk about Hashem being here in the world? Anyone know? What's that called? Hashem, His presence in this world is called the Shekhinah. What does the word Shekhinah mean? Shochen. What does Shochen mean? To dwell. Okay? So God's presence, His dwelling, in a sense, is called the Shekhinah. And I've always found this fascinating. When we refer to God in any of His iterative names, God is in the masculine form. But when we refer to the Shekhinah, the presence of God, Hashem dwelling in this world, we refer to the Shekhinah, in the feminine. It's not that he's confused. It's not that he's both. God is neither. The idea of gender to a formless God, right? The idea of masculine and feminine in terms of gender 
In terms of sex, it's not a relevant conversation when it comes to God. So why would we have a masculine and feminine terminology attached to God? And I think that there's something really powerful about this idea. In every name of God, what are we describing? We are describing not God himself as a being. No term or descriptive terminology would work for that. It's like a bunch of blind people standing around an elephant. One person feeling the toenails and saying it's a toenail. One person feeling a knee and saying it's a knee. Another person feeling a trunk and saying it's a trunk. Every one of these terminologies of God describes the part of God or the expression of God that you're experiencing. So when we talk about God's kindness or God's justice, right, or God's, you know, lengthy temper, his, uh, his lengthy temperament, that he doesn't get angry, each one of them describes an interaction of God or a chosen interaction of God with humanity. So in all of those things, God is what's called, okay, he is having that impact. He's in the masculine form of imposing an impact. You think again about masculine and feminine in terms of biology, right? The man is giving something the woman's body in the process of reproduction is receiving that material and then nurturing that material until it becomes something actual. In the beginning, it's material which is potential. It's nothing without her. She can't, without her, he can't make it become anything. It has potential seed to become something. But it is nurtured within the feminine, in the, uh, in the, in the nekeva, right, to be able to turn into something actual. All the names of God, therefore, are in the masculine. They're God's interaction with us. But there's one element which is not, in some ways, dependent on God. The Shekhinah, God's dwelling in this place, is up to us. And in this way, God is, so to speak, being acted upon by us. Now again, remember, these words are so to speak. There's nothing that we could do to God unless God allowed us to do that to Him. But the idea that God gave us a world and said, I want you to have the choice whether or not you welcome me in, our free will in this world, which is given to us by God, also gives us the power to allow Him to be evidently present. Listen carefully to my words. To be evidently present in our world and in our lives or to have his presence masked. The Shekhinah describes God's observable presence. And God's observable presence is in the dirt. That's why we talk about it. We ask Hashem, to lift his presence from the dirt, from the dust that it's under. Why is God's presence in that place? Because that's what we chose. We chose to chase him from our place. But my friends, in this experiment called the world, if you will, Hashem had to have that His presence be decided by us and not by Him. Because if it was decided by Him, then this world would not be unique. Then God would not be enacting in a way of chesed, of kindness with us. He would just be playing out His own will without anyone else getting a choice. If we had no choice, we would not matter. If God made us love Him, if God imposed His presence on us without our choice, you know what we would be? 
We would be the same as a rock, as a mountain, as a tree, as an animal. So what does God do? In order, in order to, pro to provide the greatest kindness in the world, is He allows us the gift of rejecting Him. So that when we choose to welcome His Shekhinah, to make it present, if not maybe in our cities, states, or countries, in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives, in our blessings, in the bathroom, at the Brit Milah, at the Bar Mitzvah, if that's what we choose to do, then we've chosen to bring God there. We've lifted the Shekhinah up. We've made God's presence evident. And who did that? I did that. We did that. We are given the chance to be part of His kingdom, to be part of His kingship. And through that, we change from finite beings who exist for a short amount of time, who really can almost do nothing of import that will last forever. In this way, we become part of His eternal kingdom. We become part of His story. And His story lasts forever. That is the gift of God to mortals. He gives mortals the gift of immortality. Do you hear that? Isn't that wild? We're starting to understand now the idea of Bamidbar. God talks to us about counting the Jews. And what he's trying to communicate to us is that every single Jew is worthy of being counted. You count, you matter. And if that idea is true, then what makes you matter? What makes you matter are the deeds that you do that make this world a more godlike place. That will outlast not just you, but your children and your children's children, and even this universe and this world itself that will exist for all of eternity. What makes you matter is the recognition that it is not Bamidbar or Hel Moed, it is Bamidbar or Hel Moed. That God is forever. If you looked at God as forever, then when you were choosing whether or not to eat something that was kosher, you'd be able to see that this meal, this pleasure that I'm looking at, to do something dishonest, how, much, how long does this pleasure last? How long does what I get from this sin or what I get from not doing the mitzvah, how long is it? It's so small. When seen versus the vastness of the reality of God, of the sachar, of the eternal reward, suddenly it becomes something that you're able to be mitgaber. That's what makes you count. That's what makes a person able to recognize that these deeds, my actions, they matter. I always love this. A mother is capable of giving the most incredible love to her children. She gives and she gives and she gives. But then a child grows up. And then it's up to the child to decide how much he wants to interact with, how much he wants to respect, how much he wants to call his mother. And part of the reason why that's an important thing is because it models for us, as the Sefer HaChinuch says, our relationship with our parents was given to us as a model for our relationship to God. God too takes care. God performs the miracles. God forms and fashions a child. But at the end, when, he, when you're all grown up and you could deal by itself, you could do everything yourself, you make every choice by yourself, you decide how often you call him. You decide how often you get in touch, how often you're grateful, how often you remember, how often you remind them and others how valuable were their gifts to you. And that is the shekhinta, that is the nature of the shekhinah in this world. My friends, 
I don't know if uh, Mother's Day is a day that we celebrate as Jews, like I said. But the concept is one that is absolutely imperative for a Jew. I was given a great piece of advice once by someone. It said, as soon as you do something for someone else, right, forget that you did it for them. But never forget a single thing that someone else did for you. And I'll end with this. Many years ago, he came to our home. And my mother used to come to us and deal when he would come to deal. He would come to eat in our home. My parents were close with him. He married my parents. He was my sandak and my brit milah. So he came to our home. And in our house, my mother was bringing the food to the table. And as she was walking, she, she tripped on something. She twisted her ankle. Hurt her foot, twisted her ankle a little bit. She was hobbling, she served the food, okay. Maybe 10 years later, we went to Israel, and if you remember his minyan was in the great synagogue. You guys remember when he prayed down in that little room downstairs? So minyan was there, and it was hard for him to see, and it was, if anyone knows, after tefillah, people are yelling, Maran, like, all yelling for his attention. And my mother, we were speaking, you know, my mother said, you know, she said, excuse me, he recognized her voice, he turns around, and he says, Giveret Rabbanit Farhi. How's your foot? Ten years later. Twenty years later, he stood under the chupa to marry my sister. And when my mother walked up to the chupa, he said, I'm so happy to see that your foot is feeling better. Twenty years later. When he passed away, I saw Chacham David at the bar mitzvah of Miguel Abadi's son. It was a while after he passed away, and I went to Chacham David and I said, Chacham David, I just want to tell you the story. And I ended and I said, you know, what's so special about it is not that he remembered. Not that he remembered. It's that he cared to remember. Chacham David started crying. And he says, people say this all the time that my father's greatness was because of his photographic memory. My father couldn't remember if you asked him, he couldn't tell you what he ate yesterday for lunch. You know why he remembered the Torah? True, he was gifted with a blessed memory because it was so important that he couldn't begin to fathom forgetting it. Someone does you a favor, never forget it. Has anyone in the world done you more favors than your mom? Remember it, not just today, every single day. Make sure they know how you feel about them. To treat our mothers, to lift our mothers, to lift our fathers, to lift those that have helped us, to call out to the people that gave us a chance, you know, that helped us in business in the beginning. We love to forget that we ever needed anybody. But every single one of us needed so much help to get to where we are today. Recognize those people. Call them, even if it's 20, 30 years later, and tell them how grateful you are to them for helping you get uh, to the milestones that you have achieved. Baruch Amen